You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Good morning. It's Friday, March 6th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. If you haven't noticed, college football strength and conditioning coaches are kind of having a moment. The news that longtime Alabama kingpin Scott Cochran was taking an on-field coaching job at Georgia was February's biggest non-recruiting storyline. And the NFL Combine last week showcased the good work that many SNC coaches have done with their pupils over the last few seasons. And in general, spring is a time where each player has purportedly added 15 pounds of lean muscle over winter workouts and looks more twitched up than they did last season. And so this is a time where each fan base sings the praises of their strength and conditioning coach. And if they have a new strength and conditioning coach, then, well, the best cliche in the book is that this is the best guy ever. With all of that in mind, I reached out to Iowa strength and conditioning director Chris Doyle who's been with the Hawkeyes since 1999, which was Kirk Ferentz's first year. In 2015, Iowa added the title of Executive Director of the Football Program to Doyle's mantle. The Hawkeyes have had nine first-round picks since 1999. They're going to add a few more in April, and offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs, who could be a top-10 pick. He was a star of the NFL Combine, and likely defensive end A.J. Epinesa as well. A lot of this work should be Credited to Doyle, the Hawkeyes have signed just one five-star prospect in the last 10 cycles with an average recruiting ranking of 46th nationally in that time span. And yet you see them yearly compete for New Year's Day bowl games. Doyle's as good as it gets. He's paid handsomely for it, $800,000 yearly, which at last check is the highest salary for any strength and conditioning coach in the country. We're going to go to my interview with him. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about the development of worse. We've talked about some of the recent tight ends to come through the program, including George Kittle. We've talked about Doyle as sort of Iowa's filter filtering process for any recruits it might want to sign. It was great to have him on. seems like uh, Iowa's in really good hands with him. And then and stay tuned for uh, a talk with Charles Power after my interview with Doyle because Charles – wrote a piece earlier this week highlighting the best strength and conditioning coordinators in college football using the NFL Combine and Pro Days as a compass. It was the inspiration for this piece, and so Charles and I are going to talk about who else made that list and and what the sort of climate is right now and what makes a successful strength and conditioning coordinator. So without further ado. So the Iowa recruiting staff has said they use you as a filter for when recruits visit and you get to look at them physically and you get to give your input. What more can you tell me about your role in the evaluation process? Oh, well, it's certainly a team effort, Trey. Um, The first thing I would say is it starts with our coaches do an incredible job of getting the right people here on campus uh, to meet with. Um, They do a great job of, of identifying guys. So when the guys, come to me typically they're guys that you know from good backgrounds um 
oftentimes is, you know, you know, we want to find out a little bit about their family makeup, um, kind of high school program they, they've come from. Usually if a guy gets to, you know, where he's entertaining the idea of playing football in the big 10 at Iowa, um, there's been a significant person in their life that's impacted him in a positive way. I like to find out about that. Um, and then just sitting down and talking to the kid, you know, we, we need to identify the right fit at Iowa. And to, to us, that means, you know, someone, someone that has grit, um, you know, meaning, you know, is it someone that understands the, the need for delayed gratification, that there's a process that takes time, you know, um, it's really mental makeup is one of the biggest, most significant impacts from both. Um, these, most of these guys are, you know, talented, overrated. Most of these guys are, are kids that are fairly athletic and have futures um, athletically. It's a matter of, you know, how willing they are to apply themselves to the process over the long haul. So as much as anything, it's getting to know kids and getting to know their family and, you know, what, what makes up, uh, you know, who they are. It's interesting that you, the, the mental makeup, I think a lot of casual college football fans would be surprised that, you know, maybe that's what the strength and conditioning director is kind of looking for. They would probably think, well, if Chris Doyle had, you know, a, a yes or a no claim on a kid, it's, you know, uh, size or, or speed or strength. So that's, that's interesting uh, to me. Uh, when you get the kids on campus, so you get them there, you get the guys you want, and you've said you want tough, smart, physical, so you get the players in. And then how do you judge success? Like, I know that team performance is obviously a way to judge success, but I would assume for you and your department, there are other things probably more granular. Is it staying healthy? Is it preventing soft tissue injury? Is it individual player improvement? Oh, I tell you, Trey, it's all the above. I mean, absolutely, it's all the above. I would say first and foremost, you know, it does it does go back to, to character and that, you know, when people ask, hey, you know, what do you do? Um, you're your strength conditioning coach, you coach strength conditioning, you coach performance, you coach, you know, speed or injury prevention. And I would say we're in the business of changing lives first almost like that, that's the number one thing. If you get great kids, they, t- they tend to reach their ceiling of potential. Um, so, you know, and when you look at what, how we evaluate our success, I mean, our guys progressing, are they progressing, you know, are they progressing on, 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 in the areas that we think are important? Certainly, you know, first and foremost, as a strength conditioning professional, you want, you want to do everything you can to to develop resiliency and keep kids from from um, being injured. You know, so it's injury prevention is certainly a big part of it. We start everything with a functional movement screen to identify, you know, what what strengths and weaknesses exist. Are there any asymmetries? Um, uh, is there any dysfunction um, or, comp- or compromise? You know, are they compromised? Um, from right side to left side, front to back, you know, any compensations that may exist. So, you know, you want to develop a balanced diet. Then you look quickly to, you know, how hard they push against the ground, how hard they push against the ground, the faster they run and the higher they jump. So ground force application is going to directly correlate to linear speed, ability to change direction and jump, which will then transfer it on field success. Um, so, you know, it's developing a functional athlete that stays healthy. It's developing an athlete that can apply force against the ground, whether they're an offensive tackle or a defensive back. Um, we're, we're certainly evaluating improvement. You know, that's, you know, you, you, first and foremost, you, you need to, to help this get better. I mean, they wouldn't be here in this environment if they didn't have ability. Now we need to get them better. And ultimately, you know, we, we're looking for a team-first mentality that leads to competing for a championship. Playing a new year today. You know, you know, beating teams, beating teams in big bowl games, playing for championships in November. Yeah, I mean, if if we do our job and bring in the right kids and and invite them to the right culture, 
ultimately you'd hope that you're playing in very important football games late in the year. Gotcha. You mentioned a lot of things that probably are pretty complicated and use analytics and crazy technology. And I'm just kind of curious, like when you guys started in 1999 in Iowa, like how, how much has everything changed in the last 20 plus years, like measuring force impact on the ground? Like, did you do that stuff in 1999? Well, yeah, well, you, you certainly, you, you know, in 1999, we were evaluating vertical jumps, right? So that's certainly a great indication of how much force can apply against the ground. And but nowadays, you know, now we're using force plates and, you know, we're measuring you know, um, RSI, reactive strength index, which is essentially, you know, ground contact time, you know, um, as it correlates to height jump. And so we're using force plates to identify what someone's RSI is. And then we are individually programming plyometric training based upon the way the nervous system works. There's guys that benefit from more resistive plyometric training, and there's other guys that benefit from plyometric training that is more geared towards developing their elasticity. Uh, so we're individually programming plyos. Uh, you know, Trey, we didn't have that information or that technology 20 years ago. You know, the best people in the world, whatever field you're pursuing, you know, you can be, whether it's medicine or, or education, law, business, like you're applying what's available to you. You're trying to take the traditions of the past and marry it with the, you know, marry it with what um, science has to teach us now and, and you know, you have to continually look to improve the programming and, and improve the tools that you're using and how you apply them with your athletes if you're going to give them a chance to be successful at the highest level. Gotcha. So on New Year's Day 2017, uh, we're at the Army All-American Bowl in San Antonio, and I remember watching Tristan Wirfs do handstands throughout the lobby. And our recruiting analysts loved him because they loved his potential. And, and he was a, you know, I mean, I don't need to tell you, track and field standout, state champion wrestler. And I kind of think now that he's going to be a top 10 pick, Tristan Wirfs could be the new poster child for the importance of a multi-sport background or the importance of a generalized skill set rather than a specialized one. And I'm interested just to kind of get your thoughts and your recollections of, of working with Tristan. Well, he, he, Chris, Tristan grew up in Mount Vernon, Iowa, right? So that's 30 minutes up the road. And, um, and he's 20, just turned 21 years old, right? So I have three sons that are similar in age. So I, I've seen Tristan since he was young, um, as I, at baseball, I've seen him in youth sports. Um, you know, here's a, a multiple sport athlete. Um, you know, you mentioned track and field. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned his wrestling. Also, you know, this kid was a baseball player. He's a swimmer. Like, he, he did it all. Um, he had a very strong home life in that his brother is a special person. Um, he was afforded the opportunities to compete and do those things. But now you take a guy who's had a multiple sport exposure and then you bring him into this setting where now he has the opportunity to specialize and, and just train for football and his progress, you know, he took off. He had, a, you know, he had a broad spectrum of athletic exposures. And then once he decided to zero in on football is he had a, you know, very accelerated and amplified progression. I want to ask now about George Kittle, uh, one of the most fun players in, in the NFL to watch. Also ask about TJ Hawkinson because these guys kind of came to Iowa. Like Tristan Wirfs was an Army All-American, a four-star recruit. These other two mm -hmm. guys, like they weren't that. George Kittle was a two-star who I believe was offered or committed on signing day. And TJ was, we had him as a mid-three-star and he didn't have the athletic profile via the testing numbers or track that, that Tristan had coming in. And then you work with them, your staff works with them, and by the NFL Combine, they are testing as the most 
athletic tight ends in the class. So separately or together, did they sort of have the same path as far as maturation? What was your work like with, with George and TJ? Well, uh, there were some similar, there were some similarities guys, um, you know, or some commonalities, but you need to ask the question too. Like, Hey, were these kids just late bloomers, right? Did we just get lucky? Uh, did other people miss on them in recruiting? And we just kind of got lucky because our coaches said an eye. And what were our coaches looking at? Um, TJ Hawkinson, like incredible family, right? Dad's like a lifer at high V, like a credible family. Um, George Kittle, like dad was a captain at Iowa. Mom was an all-American basketball player. Like there's, you know, so there were some things in the family makeup that, that gave us maybe a little bit more information. Um, just about with the, just the, the fabric of how these kids work, personality, you know, personality profile, character profile. Um, they both love competition. They both had outstanding work ethic, um, humble, you know, and they just really kind of, they really, really progressed here. I mean, George was a guy who had a very little production in high school. He came here. We first offered him, he was 185 pounds. First day we weighed him on campus, I think he was around two. 201 or 202. Um, you know, the other thing about George, when we talk about late bloomer, he grew two inches in college. But he had been, that's four, he was 6'2 when he got here. I measured, you know, we measured him, I measured him, he was 6'2. He grew two inches, and George will tell you that. Like, he was clearly a late bloomer, and he attacked the program. He, he, you got his best for every day, and he really took off and, and made incredible progress. You know, TJ. He's an extremely humble kid, really hardworking guy, loved compete, loved football. Like, they're just, they're awesome stories. Like, and there's, they're not the first. I mean, we had training today in our room, I mean, just a couple hours ago. TJ was in here. Dallas Clark was back training in groups. Um, you know, a similar story. Walk on, who's a first round draft pick, left, left school, left early in 2002, like, you know, as an underclassman, entered the NFL draft when that was really unusual and was drafted in the first round. And he's a walk on. Um, similar kid got here, he's 200 pounds. And so, you know, we've had a lot of stories like that throughout the history. We've just been really lucky that our, our coaches have identified the kids, our head football coach, Kirk Barnes, please. We have incredible resources. We've pushed the envelope on, on advancement and technology and the evolution of this. And we've just been super lucky. Chris, like, I think college football purists probably know who you are. And we, we ran a story the other day. Charles Power talked about using the NFL combine as a compass for the top strength and conditioning programs in football. And I was in that mix every single year and you are a massive success story, but it's kind of funny. Like we were talking about this in the office the other day, you look around the country and some of the more well-known strength coaches on a national scale are sort of like branded as this viral personality or this cult of personality. And, and some of the best ones like yourself are, probably a little bit more understated and less publicized on social media. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I'm kind of curious about your approach with all that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just a middleman. Like I'm just a middleman in that um, the kids do all the work, you know, our head, our head coach is an incredible supporter of strength conditioning. Our coaches identify the kids. And here I am in a role where we are given um, maybe unmatched resource. Like our resources are outstanding and I get to work with awesome kids from great families that really want to find out how good they can be. They come in here for a window of 18 to 22 years old. They have four years of eligibility to find out how good they can be if they really, truly um, 
buy into the process of, of working hard every day. And I just get to go along for the ride with them. So I, you know, I don't know that it, it's not about me. It never has been. The other part of it is, you know, when people, you know, the name, you know, they might say Chris Doyle, but we've had countless staff members that have moved on to run their own programs. Um, you know, strength conditioning assistants that are incredible um, that I, that, I, that we've had here working with me. So like, this isn't a one man show. I'm not doing this by myself. James Opson's at Vanderbilt. He was at Nebraska. Brian Hess is at North Carolina. Now he's a former intern of ours. Joel Welsh at Central Michigan guy, you know, Nick DeMarco at Elon and Mark Weissman and, and, and Justin Lima. Like we've had countless guys that have been awesome guys on staff. So this isn't a one man show. It's not about my personality. It's really, I don't know. I just, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I get to work with some really, really awesome kids that um, are supported by our coaching staff and, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I love that answer, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Um, excited to kind of see what you got next in line at Iowa and good luck this spring. Hey, thanks so much for having us on Trey. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and hopefully we'll, maybe we'll get a chance to do it again someday. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you. Chris Doyle is the director of strength and conditioning at Iowa. We're going to take a quick break and then talk to Charles Power. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. All right, now I'm going to bring in Charles Power. Charles, I enjoyed talking to Chris Doyle and I appreciate your sort of help in guiding me with that interview and, and the work you did earlier this week on the the top strength and conditioning programs in college football with, with the NFL combine as a lens, I think kind of basically like, as we talk about this, don't you sort of feel like strength and conditioning coaches are kind of having a moment right now? I think so. And I, I think it's, it's maybe the, the strength and conditioning coaches who are the most adaptable, the ones who are, forward thinking. I think in general, that's kind of the way that the trend is going overall in, in football, college football, NFL. And I think that's, that's filtered into the, the strength and conditioning space. I, I think the days of just kind of running your athletes into the ground now, probably, um, you know, it, all of the evidence of that kind of points to not being the best strategy. And I think the ones who, um, you know, are, are kind of evolving on that front. And as it's gotten more analytical, I just know like over the last five, 10 years, it's, it's changed a whole lot just kind of from, from what I've gathered. And, um, you know, I think looking at the, at the combine and whatnot, it kind of maybe provides a interesting a window into, you know, some of the improvements, the actual, the players are making on, on an individual level. Cause so much, so it's like, you know, kind of talking about strength and conditioning coaches, it's a lot of it's, tough to gauge and, um, very kind of anecdotal and a lot of it's reputation based. So I, that's, that was kind of what I wanted to do is just see, like actually look at the numbers and see who is actually getting better. And if there were any trends with the specific programs. Well, as far as the analytics, it does seem like Iowa 
and I, I would imagine any state of the art program at this point, very analytics driven. Chris Doyle had a lot of testing things he said that kind of went right over my head. It's kind of funny. And then he said, you know, what's important to him, team success, preventing injury, player improvement, all of the above. So we've spent, I've spent probably, you know, a good amount, enough amount of time on Doyle and we ran through Tristan Wirfs and TJ Hawkinson and, and, um, George Kittle, but mm-hmm. let's go back to your article and kind of highlight some other guys who we think deserve some time in the sun right now. And Dwight Galt at Penn State is Penn State is like Iowa in that every year it feels like they're dominating the combine. Yeah, and I, I think Galt ha- has had this reputation for a while, dating back to when he was at Maryland. He was a strength and conditioning coach at Maryland for almost twenty years um, with, with with Ralph Friedgen, and he stayed there over multiple coaches. And he was he was there. Um, you know, that's kind of how he he linked up with James Franklin because you know remember James Franklin was the offensive coordinator and head coach in waiting at Maryland. Um, whenever Friedgen got fired, and, and he brought Dwight Gall with him to Vanderbilt, and then and then on to Penn State. So they've they've been attached for for a while. And think about when when Galt was at Maryland, you know they had Vernon Davis, they had Sean Merriman, um, just some of the more athletic kind of jumbo athlete types that that have come into the NFL in the last like maybe twenty years. Um, so, so he kind of had the reputation. Then he gets to Penn State and kind of gets settled in. And in, in, in 2018, they had the three top performers at the Combine for, for one school, which is just kind of absurd when you think about it. And Saquon Barkley wasn't even the best one. He was the third best one. And um, so I, I think that's one thing, too, that, that you know, it, it's easier to track the progress that these coaches make when, when they're a little more entrenched because you can kind of – it allows time to establish – um, you know, kind of, kind of like, like a trend and you can kind of, they can set their program and kind of get things rolling and you have players for the, the entirety of their careers and you can really track the improvement. So, um, you know, Galt's been, been at Penn state for, I guess, you know, the better part of the last, I guess, maybe seven, eight years. And so I, I think he does a fantastic job at looking at all of the kind of using the, the, the measurements I use for this is, um, you know, prospects who uh, tested over over the 90th percentile in their uh, re- respective position and then over the 50th percentile. And he uh, has the most in, in each category um, of, of all the current strength coaches I was tracking. So that's one thing, too. It, it, a lot of the fans are like, well, what about this coach? What about this coach? Like, I literally just counted the numbers and Galt was the, the highest one. So it and kind of thought that going in, but but this kind of confirmed it a little bit. Yeah, so you have Galt, you have Chris Doyle from Iowa, you have Matt Bayless from Notre Dame, and you have Mickey Marodi from Ohio State. And I actually am going to be the, but well, what about this guy? It's interesting when you look at that list. This is like a Midwest concentration. Did you yeah. notice? Did you notice that? And like you mentioned, you mentioned in your additional observations. And again, anyone listening to this needs to go find this piece. It's still on the front page of twenty four seven sports But you mentioned in your observations, you kind of like made a little place for the SEC. But I thought it was interesting in in in, in reading this article. Like this is a Midwest thing. Yeah, and in Mickey Mirati was at Florida with with Urban Meyer, but yeah, it's I don't know if it's maybe because he's these. Midwest coaches have been there for a while. The other Matt Bayless hasn't been in Notre Dame for that long, and, and he was previously in the SEC. He was at he was at Mississippi State for a while. I think he actually won you know won some awards at Mississippi State in the in the early 2010s. Um, but but yeah, I, I noticed that and I looked specifically in the SEC. I like make sure I'm not missing something here. 
and and it wasn't like I, I think Paul Jackson, who's who's at South Carolina now, um, had 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 some success at at Ole Miss in recent years. They had DK Metcalf and um, Evan Ingram were a couple of notables. Robert Kimdichie. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it. There's definitely a heavy Midwest flavor on the prospects that that tend to do well, um, you know, in, in in these testing settings. So and this is combine and pro day, so it's it's everything accumulated. It's not just strictly the NFL combine. So I, I think the 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 sample that we were pulling off of over over a seven year span, um, you know, was. I think maybe around 11,000 players. So it, it, it's a pretty wide, um, wide swath that we were looking at for this. So, um, yeah, I, I specifically looked at that cause I kind of thought coming in, I, I've kind of figured, um, you know, maybe, uh, Tommy Moffat from LSU was on, w- would be kind of one that was included, but, um, several of the others had, had better numbers, um, than most of the SEC coaches. I couldn't really get Chris to bite on asking him about sort of the more famous strength and conditioning coaches are the ones who are viral sort of, uh, you know, YouTube guys uh, while the yeah. probably the most successful ones were more understated, but he did mention, you know, this is not just about him. There's a lot of guys at Iowa who have sort of come up under him and gone on to other places and he's got great re- resources and all that. So it's, uh, I was trying to get him to say something uh, about yeah. maybe Scott Cochran. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it, that's one thing. It, it it seems like a lot of the reputation that, that coaches have, and it's they, it's not mutually exclusive to, to being good, but it, the general perception of, of strength coaches is is tends to vary on um, bluster and you know what kind of what, what, what kind of bits you have. Like I, I think that there's a lot of that, that goes into that with with what people think is good, but it's also worth noting too. Like you look at the direction Alabama's going in their strength and conditioning, I think they got increasingly more analytical with, with the hire that they made with with David Ballou from uh, from Indiana. Uh, it, I, th- I think when you kind of dig into that hire, is, that was something Saban wanted to get progressively with with, this, with Scott Cochran taking on the field role at, at Georgia. He wanted to get increasingly more um, analytical and data driven with, with their stuff, and they're opening like a, kind of like a new sports performance science center. I think that's that's partially under like midway through being completed right now. So um, I, I think you're seeing teams kind of pour resources into that. And Clemson's another one. Clemson state has a state of the art science um, science center. And, and they do a, like a lot of player tracking um, all kinds of really forward thinking uh, ways that they're like, you know, kind of putting the athletes through, through certain, um, you know, tests and recovery and, and all things like that. And I, I think it'll be interesting too. That's one, one note I made in, in the story. Clemson really, Clemson had one, one of the better showings at this combine of, of any schools and that hasn't been typical of them in, in recent years. So I kind of wonder if some of the stuff that they've done in their program um, with, with, with the science and, and the sports science trends um, is, is maybe helping them a little bit as well. So I, I think we're, we're starting to see a lot of the schools invest heavily in that, so I think it'll probably only get increasingly better and um, you know more progressive on that front. All right, good stuff from Charles Power. Go read his article and all of his work at 247sports.com. Thanks, Charles. Thanks. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and tell us what you want us to talk about. For Charles Power, for Connor Tapp, for our producer, Tony Levitt, big shout out to Chris Doyle for joining the show today. 
I'm Trey Scott, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.